Knockback is brought to you by thousands of supporters on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. If you want to show your support for Knockback, as well as CLS's PlayStation podcast, Sacred Symbols, the eclectic interview series, Fireside Chats, and the YouTube gaming series, SideQuest, please consider going to Patreon and pledging for a monthly amount that makes the most sense for you. Your Patreon support doesn't only ensure that CLS continues to produce the content you love, like Knockback, but you can get cool perks, too, depending on your level of support. You can get early access to each episode of Fireside Chats, Sacred Symbols, and Knockback, totally ad-free. You can vote for show topics and provide feedback to be read on air. You can listen to exclusive podcasts only available to patrons, and much more. Your support is essential if Colin's Last Stand is to continue well into the future, so please consider showing some love. Again, that's patreon.com slash Stand. Thank you for your kindness, generosity, and support. Without you, CLS wouldn't exist. But enough of that. On to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Colin's Last Stand Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. Today, I'm joined by Saturday morning's most special gift, Dagan Moriarty. <laughs> hi, guys. Whoa, you put hi, a little like... Hi, little hi, guys. Oh, you put a little... Dig, it's about midnight. Yes, it is. On a beautiful Los Angeles August night. In which we were just eating delivery Del Taco and watching It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Of course. We're working our way through the fourth wave of knockback topics here. And for people that don't know, I came up with pretty much all of the topics for the first wave. Dagan came up with the topics for the second wave. I came up with the topics for the third wave. And so these are Dagan topics, the next 10 episodes, the the one behind us, and then this one and the next eight in front of us to be more technical. And this one is one of the more intentionally broad and obtuse ones, which makes me excited because as we were saying on the last episode for Mad Men, these allow us to explore more nebulous ideas of nostalgia. And so when I saw this one, I was especially intrigued when I saw this one on your list rather, because it's not what I thought it was going to be when I started in the millisecond I started reading it because it's Saturday mornings. And I thought it was going to be set when I, you know, Saturday morning cartoons was what I figured. And we can do that. I feel like that's, I don't I would rather talk about individual cartoons as we've been doing. Yeah. So I like this idea more because I'm not even entirely sure what the parameters are. So I was hoping you can explain to me what your idea is for this one and then we can go from there because I have sure. a bunch of notes, but I don't know if I'm being too broad or too specific or whatever. So explain to me what your idea is here. Well, you know, I like this I like this topic because I think that we're going to have different perspectives on it coming from two different generations. But I think it could just be a reflection on Saturday morning as a whole. Now, cartoons are a huge part of that, especially for myself. When I think of Saturday mornings, I think of cartoons. I think of the first day off of school after a long week, right? So playing inside with toys, playing outside. Cartoons are a big part of it. And TV, you know, comes along with all the commercial, you know, back then Saturday mornings were much different. So all the TV commercials and advertisements that we were excited of things that we were excited about back then, everything down to breakfast cereal could just be a whole celebration of the way I think Saturday mornings used to be. And obviously are much, they're much different now. I am excited to hear specifically, I don't know if we're going to get into it because it's not, I mean, I, I guess anything we want to do on the show is fine, but you being a father of two, yes, you'll have first-hand knowledge, indeed, of the way the Saturday morning has morphed into something new and exciting. Absolutely. Or not exciting, probably. Completely unexciting. Do you feel like the days run together for you more often? That sounds like such a dark and dire thing, but like days of the week don't mean very much to me at all. No, that's a really good point, because what happens is I think they were much more delineated back then, because 
every day was different. We had our, we, you know, a lot of it is nostalgia goggles and we're looking back fondly on the way things used to be, but it's really true. Saturdays used to feel a lot different than the other days of the week, you know, especially, you know, having that morning filled with cartoon programming that you couldn't get and just kid programming in general that you couldn't get during other days of the week. And, you know, I think part of that was when you were growing up as a kid and when I was growing up as a kid, that's the way it was. Everything, I think it does run more together now. There isn't that much, there isn't separate flavors really for separate days. Everything, you know, especially in media and all the stuff that we devour, content and that kids watch, anything is available anytime, whether it's on demand or on Netflix or on a device, you know, so... You know, back then there was much more of a model, right? You know, now it's immediacy. Back then it was much more of a model of this is when something is presented and this is when you watch it or this is when you ingest it. This is when you do it. You know, back back then it was much different than it is today. Now everything's exactly what we want, when we want. It's unbelievable, isn't it? That's a big part of it. You know, it, it, it was it's crazy. Un, it's unthinkable. Well, even 10 years ago when we were getting Netflix discs in the mail. Think that was like that. a revolutionary thing because then you could at least you didn't have to like go anywhere to get your programming and YouTube was in its nascent days and all those kinds of things. And it really, as we've talked about in the past, it's really interesting that my generation, you kind of experienced all of your childhood in analog and I didn't, but we both experienced only our adulthoods in really this more technologically advanced, you know, silicon reality that we live in. It's pretty Absolutely. cool. Absolutely. It's pretty cool. It's very, very cool. Well, we have some feedback here from the audience. Like they got what you meant. I kind of understood what you meant too with your, with, I wanted to see specifically what you had to say about your idea for it. It seems like they were in line with you. They understood. Very nice. So we got quite a few of them here. It's cool because the four shows that I run right now all have some sort of fan interaction, but this one seems to be the most intimate in a way because we're talking about our pasts. And so it's very exciting. And we're intimate people. And we are. I like to be intimate in a lot of different ways. (laughs) Anton K says, oh, we're definitely for cartoons. Saturday mornings were definitely for cartoons, he says, but also chores. Summer, it was yard work, winter inside cleaning. The deal was we couldn't go out or play until we cleaned two rooms other than our bedrooms. I would try to get up early and pick the two smallest rooms, the downstairs bathroom and my dad's office. Oh, smart technique. Then I would listen as my brothers and sisters complained about cleaning the kitchen or the living room. That was, that's very smart. See, very smart. You're an industrious young man. I like this. Are chores still a thing? Not in my house. Not really. I mean, my my daughter's at an age now where she's getting a little older, preteen, where she wants to keep her room straight, and it's not as much of a a battle to, you know, get her to keep her room not looking like a complete catastrophe. You know, it's funny. I have to say, I'm a 44 year old man, and mom and dad didn't really uh, hit us with the chores. What about you? Did you do chores? Did you? Yeah, I remember. You did I have remember, chores. I remember it a little differently than you. All right, tell me about this. I remember doing a damn thing when I was little. <laughs> I, I don't know if it was a product of the post-divorce situation. Oh, okay. But I very clearly remember that we had like, we you must not live there. I don't know. I don't know how you cannot remember this, that like dad had like a grid on the fridge. Someone had a vacuum. Someone had dust. Someone had, a, I had like, I, my job as the little one was like to clean the baseboards and like the molding. That's what I had to do. That's what your job was? Yeah. I remember I think that. mine was skateboarding and playing Super Nintendo. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was my chore. Now, you didn't... No, I, you know what? I mowed the lawn. That's probably but what we, it was. But two things. We had a tractor, so it wasn't really... Yeah, that was It work. was fun. Yeah. And plus, I think Dad gave me $20 to do it. Yeah, that used to be... And that was in the early 90s, late 80s, so that wasn't a bad deal. No, that's great. That's great money in the late And I, pro- and I 
had trouble controlling that thing. Um, and I used to run over quite a few of dad's cobblestones. He used to love that. <laughs> so really enjoy that. The damage to the driveway and to the tractor. <laughs> he was a huge fan of property damage and having to, to uh, sharpen those blades for his... Uh, he wasn't his at mower. all uptight about keeping everything no. very nice. No, not at all. Not, you know, I, I appreciate that in hindsight, you know? Oh, definitely. And you're like... Oh, I'm. You're uh, fucking. Uh, you're the, actually like the, the apple, apple did didn't not fall, fall from the from the tree. My, it friend. never even fell. It just stayed right where it was, and I just took it over. But you know what? I, I can't speak for Dana and Allie, our sisters, but Erin mm. points out that I am like I keep my things nice, like I take care of my things and like keep things in order. You're very orderly, but I'm not to not to your extent, like even even a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you have to. I I hear what you're saying. I am very uptight when it comes to that kind of stuff, but you have to kind of throw that to the winds when you have kids because. They might not be. My kids are pretty fastidious about keeping things okay. I mean, they're kids, though. Yeah. You know, so you have to kind of abandon. And, you know, I have the dog, the puppy, and she's all right a little destructive and i've seen you I, i've seen you multiple times bring that dog inside and like give it basically a bath <laughs> before you let it go anywhere in the house who are you kidding it's true it's funny about chores though because i do feel like i'm not very mindful of it but i do feel like my kids should have chores and i'd be happy to pay them for it just because i think it does add a little bit i don't want to say dimension but it adds a little bit of a routine to your life and a responsibility that you know i think that would be kind of cool, but I have to admit, as a, I don't think that was very typical for a, a guy my age to look back and not have chores. But I never really had them. Not that I remember. Not that I remember that well. Remind me, you're gonna not make your kids work, right? Didn't you tell me that? Oh, when they're in, you know what? I have very. That's and me and me and my. I don't wife, mean ever, by the way. I mean like in no, high no, school. no. In school, yeah. when they're in school. Well, Helene and I, I don't know if we see eye to eye on that. But mom and dad forced me to work when I was in high school. And I found I found high school very labor intensive and difficult to begin with. And I think working, I don't know if I worked a lot, like I worked probably part time, 24 hours a week or something. I thought it wasn't really worth it. You know what I mean? To be taking taken away from the time I could have been putting into school. So I just think back and don't have fond memories of that. So I always say, you know, I also tend to spoil, maybe spoil the kids a little too much. I like the idea of them being responsible and being able to have a job and being able to get into that mindset because that's going to be important in life. But I'd rather them, if it was between that and just really pulling out all stops and doing amazing in high school so they could kind of just write their own ticket, I'd ra- I'd prefer that. And that's probably, I, I bet there's a lot of people that wouldn't agree with me. I don't know. I, I guess I haven't really thought about it in, in, until just now as kind of like it's an investment. God bless our parents. They didn't withhold anything from us. They were nice and they would surprise us sometimes. I remember when dad would every so often in high school give me $20 to so like go to the movies or something. It wasn't like they were they were like Nazis about it. But, right, right. but they didn't give me much. I mean, like I had a full like a full 20 plus hour job starting in 10th grade and forever. Right. And it, those hours just increased to today. And 10th grade is when you could could have started. You couldn't have started any earlier. Yeah, ninth 16, grade, right? Yeah, ninth grade, I was like mowing lawns and I had like very little. Oh, money. right. You could do that. Type but in 10th grade, I got was... my first job at, at the stables at South Haven. Oh, that's right. I forgot and I, but, that. but even then, I only worked like weekends. But then I remember in 11th and 12th grade when I worked at the deli. I worked at Swan Deli um, in did. Long Island and Patchogue, in case you guys don't know what, what it is. I worked, I think my schedule was something like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I mean, like when I'm thinking back about it, I'm like, what? 
like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday from three to seven and then Saturday, like eight to five and Sunday, like seven to four or something wow. like that. So that's like your whole weekend. And then I played hockey at night too. I had no time to do anything. So there's, there's a point to be made, I guess, about that. Like, I don't understand why dad even let me work that much. I made a lot of money for my age. I was making $6 an hour off the books. Okay. That's so, what I was making. And that's nice because what do you really need then? You're going to buy video games? Yeah, I, or, I spent it all on video games and... and music, and, maybe, yeah, whatever like media, basically, yeah. You know. So, yeah, an interesting topic nonetheless. Before we get into the Saturday mornings, by the way, I didn't want to yeah. interrupt. I know you had a new system where you wanted to bring up a random topic. Right. We're calling it changing, changing the subject. Changing the subject. Which you chose because it was between changing the subject and besides the point. So for people that are unfamiliar, we introduced this in the Mad Men episode of Knockback. But Dagan is going to bring up, I mean, that was already a 10-minute random discussion on chores but that's fine <laughs> but that's part of saturday yeah, that's yeah, good absolutely that's good. but and it was off of a of a, a viewer question or a listener question so thank you again for that but dagan is going has a smaller list of topics yeah. or i guess a, a, as long list of topics of smaller things to discuss and we're going to throw one into the mix and see if that works and yeah. you guys can let us know kind of replacing dagan's random joke that right he would tell in the last wave not that those weren't brilliant i mean they were absolutely stunning so that was a hard act to follow they were breathtaking <laughs> Yeah, so think of these as a little side topic, a little appetizer, comp- trying to make it non sequitur to the main topic of the of the discussion of the episode, and something that I feel like maybe we're interested in talking about for some reason, but that most likely I suspect would not become a full fledged knockback topic. So this week I want to talk about something that's very really a polarizing thing. For me, it's a really I find it a very prominent part of nerd culture, but something I've never had any interest in whatsoever, and I wanted to get your take on it. Ghostbusters. So Ghostbusters could be a topic, but I don't... All right, so here's the thing about Ghostbusters. I never understood what was special about it. The fascination. Yeah, like, exactly. What is so enthralling about these two movies? That was my whole thing. They're fine, especially the first one. A totally worthy 80s movie. Good movie, yeah. But I don't I do not understand what it was about that IP and those stories and that four hours of storytelling that was so compelling to people. It's it really makes no sense to me. People love it. I know. I I, I Greg Yeah, right. Was loves we had many discussions about it. Well loved Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah. I that's just right. I just didn't understand. I respect it. I'm into really, you know, some random things too. Yeah, me too. So it's not an, I'm not insulting Ghostbusters. No, not but at I all. Do, but I do not understand it. Never understood it. I'd love to hear from people about what they love about it. Yeah, it's inter- it's very interesting to me. It's it's emblematic part of nerd culture. It's huge. I mean, everything from the movies to the cartoon series to the toys to the Lego toys. I know Playmobil has so It's a huge huge thing that the video games but subtracting the cartoon which i guess i mean i remember watching it as a kid it really is just two movies that's my biggest concern i guess you could say the same thing about star wars which is three movies there's just and i guess maybe it's a contradiction but i look at those movies i look at a new hope and empire even or empire and jedi is much yeah. more robust things worthy of fandom and obsession but maybe i just contradicted myself maybe that's maybe that's it yeah i it could be i and i i'm, I'm right there with you on that you know, I do. You know what I love about Ghost, Ghostbusters? The logo. I love the the sign with the ghost coming. You know, the it's very cool. Sign. Yeah, I love that. I got to send you this thing. And there was a real because people have photos of this in major cities when Ghostbusters came out. What year did Ghostbusters come out? Like 80, 86, 85? Yeah, maybe something like 85. that. 
there was outside of major cities, like for commuters to see, there were billboards, like black billboards, right before Ghostbusters came out to the, okay. in theaters. I mean, that would add a component of the logo every day. Oh, over really? like a two week period. So it would be like the outline of the circle and then like filled in the next day. Oh, and, wow. and as people were driving to work, the idea was that like it would be like a, a more complete picture until it was the logo of Ghostbusters, or like the information. They really did that? Yeah. That's pretty cool. The logo is super cool. The song, obviously. Yeah. It was a whole package. But it's funny you ask this because the last July's fan vote on Patreon, if you guys support the show at $2 or up a month on patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand, you can vote. You can submit your topics and then vote on other people's topics, and those topics end up as episodes of the show. And I think we've already done six or so fan episodes. We're going to do more this wave, and we're going to do more next wave, and, and so on into the future. And in wave five, we could have done it this wave, but I wanted to punt because I haven't seen them in a while. We're going to do the Back to the Future trilogy. Yeah. And that's another series. And I'm really interested in doing that because that's another series where I'm like, I don't think these movies are that good. I don't know if I'm right or wrong. I don't know that I've even seen them all in their entirety as an adult. So I think that my opinions, like my opinion on many things has changed. But I'm super intrigued and excited about doing that because it's going to force me to sit down and watch them for the first time in a long time. Absolutely. And I feel that I feel a similar way that, about Back to the Future that I do about Ghostbusters where I'm like, I just don't see this as anything iconic. Like, that's not true. It's clearly iconic. I never saw this in, in the moment and later on as something that is that I understand its hype. Yeah. You never got swept into it. No. No. into its appeal so it'll be interesting to see if you know that's changed for me yeah you have a whole new perspective to approach those movies with now well i like that you brought up ghostbusters i wonder if we ever will do a topic in the future that will require you guys probably to, to vote for it i don't know that i would naturally gravitate to, to do yeah that. and you know what that's a really great point that you bring up like if some if the if the listeners voted on a topic that we're not necessarily maybe drawn to initially it's nice to actually explore something that we're not really enveloped in yet because you know you're bringing a whole new fresh perspective to it and who knows what you might get out of it you might end up you know you might end up really enjoying it you might end up not enjoying it that much but you'll have a lot to say about it you know and and that's part of the discussion i think and that'll be fun i do turn down topics before the final vote each month a one or two simply because they're often too broad and not specific enough i have turned down probably one or two things where i'm like we don't literally don't even know what this is or what any like anything about this. Right. But I wouldn't see something like Back to the Future. Well, clearly, I wouldn't see something like Back to the Future and throw it away. Yeah, that'll yeah. be a fun one. I think so, too. That'll be a fun one. So let's talk about, let's talk shop. Yes. Shall we? Let's do it. Talk to me about, I think the best place to say is like, talk to me about your iconic Saturday morning. Okay. So I grew up in the 70s and 80s. And Saturday morning started for us with cartoons. Now, I think you have to surround the topic by mentioning the fact that there weren't... We're, let's talk about the 70s into the early to mid-80s. There wasn't a lot of... Cartoons were on two main times during the week. They were on all of Saturday morning, all through to the, you know the early afternoon. And, of course after school during the week on the weekdays after school for you know whatever it was from three to two thirty to dinner time but the the cartoons that were played during the week were always different than the fair most 95 percent of the fair that you got on saturday morning so saturday morning was that time that you really looked forward to as a kid in school in elementary school grammar school whatever even probably into junior high school and somebody like me and even into high school, you enjoyed looking forward to Saturday morning and watching cartoons was a big part of that. 
So I think as I was initially thinking about this topic and as I started to get excited about it, that was the initial idea was the cartoons. But it becomes more than that as well. But it's funny because Saturday mornings, not only is it a lost thing now and something to look back on fondly and something we don't have anymore, unfortunately, but also it was a whole event. It was the cartoons. It was the commercials. It was sort of the things that were capturing our imagination at that time that inspired us to go outside and play when the cartoons were over. It was a whole, it was sort of a whole thing. It was sort of a whole thing that we looked forward to all week. And it was before the advent of cable and before the advent of really immediacy. So if you wanted to see something, you had to tune in at a certain time once a week, you know, on a Saturday morning and... And watch it. And my whole childhood is sort of dotted and marked by the different things that I watched at different times in my life. You know, from from a young age all the way up through to my older age, the different things that were on at different era, you know, during different eras. So, you know, and of course, everything that comes along with what you would think of Saturday morning cartoons, you know, it's sort of those warm memories and that warmth, but also... You know, the the breakfast cereals, the family being together and not that hustle and bustle in the morning and making everybody's making it out. You got to get to the bus. You know, the family's together eating breakfast. You know, if dad was home, you know, make he would make pancakes. It wasn't just like a quick, you know, it wasn't just like a quick shove out the door. It was a whole, it was also a family centric time. So discussing it broadly that's that's everything and then we could sort of break it down piecemeal yeah it's funny because we got a few of the letters we got obviously focus on the cartoon aspect Joshua Anderson says to this day I don't think I've forgiven the networks for doing away with Saturday morning cartoons he says I even remember the order in which they stopped CBS NBC ABC and finally Fox yeah as a kid I blame CBS for starting at stupid old people's channel but I really feel like all the kids that came after us have missed out on something that was truly special can they even understand half of the family guy jokes it's true. I, you know, I got to say, I don't know that I realized that Saturday morning cartoons have been completely eradicated from basic. I didn't know that. It's done. I, I assumed maybe one or two stopped doing it. So that must be a sign of changing times for sure, if there's no market for them. Due to a lot of factors as well. And researching for the show, I didn't realize this. This is going to blow your mind. NBC ended its Saturday morning cartoon block lineup in 92. Really? Yeah. That's when they officially ended it. Oh, that, you know what, though? They replaced it probably with the Say by the Bell shit and stuff yes, like that, Yes, right? that's exactly what it was. That's exactly what mm, it was. Like the live action team. The live soap action opera stuff, shit. Yeah. which skewed a little older, still kid content, but skewing older. And they just saw, for whatever reason, they just saw, you know, better marketability in that stuff. You know, I think the Saturday morning cartoon thing is very hard to break down into a single cause or a single factor. I think a lot of factors played in that we could get into. And it was done over time, you know, it wasn't a, they didn't just turn the, turn the nozzle off and it stopped, you know, they, it was, it was a slow thing, you know, until it finally, I guess in 2014 is when they say that's when the CW ended their vortex programming, which was, I remember it was like Sonic X, Dragon Ball was on that block, I think, not Pokemon, but some of the other things, some of the other anime centric stuff. And then that when they ended that, and I think it was 24th, the fall of 2014, that was the last vestige of that. Yeah, VOD has eradicated the need for all these things. And again, the immediacy of, of the situation has, has surpassed and trumped everything else, which is sad, but also 
the way nature works. It's, ev- it's evolved. It's funny though, Dagan, because I was pouring over like what my Saturday mornings were like when I was a kid. Yeah, I wanted to know this. And the fact of the matter, I mean, I it's funny because I wrote down not knowing the specific parameters of what you're going to ask. I was kind of like going through like even up to like not necessarily today, but adulthood, like how Saturdays have changed, like how weekends became really precious commodities to me after college, like when I was working all the time and stuff. I hear but that. I don't know that I associate specific cartoons with Saturday morning. I, I, that term Saturday morning cartoons is obviously a term. I got up and watched Saturday morning cartoons, but I feel like a lot of the cartoons I was watching were also on in the mornings on weekdays and in the afternoons on weekdays, because I remember in the mornings watching, you know, Ghostbusters, for instance, was on, but G.I. Joe and Transformers. Which Ghostbusters? It was the real Ghostbusters, whatever they call it, right? Isn't that the... Yeah. There was a Ghostbusters show that was not associated with, with the, the car and the ape, the gorilla. Yeah, there was some weird shit like that. Which was actually the based on the original Ghostbusters, but that's a whole nother story. I'm not going to get into that right now. But did you know that? Ghostbusters was a live action show in the 70s. That the movie's based on? That that weird cartoon series is based on. Oh, I didn't know that. I, so that, that, I just thought that there was a cartoon called Ghostbusters. That very was, strange. Oh, that's interesting. And then there was a Ghostbusters cartoon, of course, based on the movie property. That's the one I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. I think that was the real Ghostbusters. Which right? actually ties into the movies as well. They make it like, you know, this is why we had to change the uniforms and the outfits. Like, there's a whole story behind it. It's very clever. It's very, I mean, I very, very uh, well regarded, that cartoon series. It's a story. I couldn't possibly care about any of that. No, no. But, not at all. But you know, <laughs> but but yeah, but it's very well regarded. But it's ironically the one that people I hated as a kid with the with the classic car and the two guys, goofy guys and the goofy bad guy and the gorilla and everything, whatever his name was. I forget what his name was. That was actually based on the real Ghostbusters property that came first, even though they said that was the fake Ghostbusters. So it was very confusing. It's super interesting because when I think about block programming on Saturdays, I actually only reference. Saturday Night, which was SNCC, which began in the early Ooh. 90s, which was a thing that I really loved. But that's not Saturday morning. That's Saturday. That's when Are You Afraid of the Dark and Roundhouse and all these shows. Alex Mack was on. Yeah. Shows that I really loved. Yeah. Talk about that, too. But in backing up, it's like, you know, Darkwing Duck and Goof Troop and Tiny Toons and all these things I watched were afternoon cartoons, Animaniacs. Yes. So I guess it's kind of funny that I... I acknowledge that Saturday morning cartoons, I guess, must have died. And yet I can't think of the Saturday morning cartoons I watched. So I guess I was part of the problem. So most of the cartoons you're thinking of are the weekday cartoons. Exactly. Because when I was pouring over my, like writing things down and stuff, I'm like, some of these must have been on on weekends and they probably were. They were. But I remember watching all of that stuff in the morning or, or before school or after, or after specifically school. after school for hours. That you know? And that, that I could see that because especially that time period where you, when you were in that wheelhouse age wise, was a big thing, not only for the Spielberg stuff like Animaniacs and Tiny Toons, but also for DuckTales and all the Disney stuff that was very popular in that era. Right. And I, I, I watched Tailspin, all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, Tailspin, another great one. I loved those shows, but I don't recall them being a Saturday morning thing. The ironic thing is, is that I do remember the more live action Saturday morning programming, but I also don't know that once I got to a certain age, like that I was even engaging on Saturdays with, I would rather probably have played a video game or went outside and played hockey or played with friends and stuff like that. Right. That's See, that's nice to hear that. I like that too. I think that that's probably part of it too. And by the time I was in fourth grade, Saturdays and Sundays were done because of hockey. Like there, there was no Saturday and Sunday after you that. Were you were so busy with that. I mean, I played point. on travel teams like most of my childhood. So it was, that's when we played games. So I was never around. So that's the other component of it. That's really funny. That's a funny reflection. And we can get into that too, but. Yeah, absolutely. That's part of your Saturday morning experience. I want to hear that. Yeah, yeah. You know. 
Yeah. So I don't know. It's funny because I remember the pancake thing with dad. I remember like dad was like an expert breakfast guy. I remember going to the firehouse with him in the city and, and they would make like peppers, you know, peppers and eggs and and stuff like that. But I remember dad like kind of manning the stove only for breakfast. Like yes. you would never see dad cook dinner. No. But you would never really see mom. I, I, just, I don't remember seeing mom cook breakfast. Like, no, absolutely so not. So no, I, right. I remember acknowledging and knowing that and kind of understanding that as a kid. But at the same time, I don't remember so much the togetherness. I think I was too young to remember that. And by the time I probably would be cognizant of that, you know, mom and dad had gotten divorced. Right, so right, right. That's, tr- that's that's true too. Did our reality, I guess, ch- on Saturday mornings change over time? And I'm not talking after the divorce, but did no, it no. evolve into something else? Or was it always kind of a consistent togetherness and a consistent kind of cadence to those days well you know what i think when we were younger when dad was home because obviously he was a busy he was a new york city firefighter and they worked tours so they could be gone for two or three days at a time so when he was so he wasn't always home on saturday morning when he was i do remember him often making pancakes and it wasn't just the pancakes the other big thing was the the other really vivid memory was the fresh squeezed orange juice he would bring like a case of oranges home and he had they had like a a juicer machine and he would make this, you know, which was very labor intensive, you know, like it t- takes a lot of, you got to cut all the oranges in half and it takes a lot of oranges to make like a pitcher of juice. And that was a big thing. But I think probably what happened, which you had spoke to a little bit already is that as we got older, you know, me, the girls, even yourself, as we got older and we became more involved in things like whether the girl, whether it was dance with the girls or some kind of athletic thing that they were into at the time or my little league or whatever it was, as those things sort of jumped off and became more busy, Saturday mornings probably became a little different and a little less, you know, where is everybody sitting at the breakfast table together on a Saturday morning? So I think that sort of breaks it, you know, as it does naturally in a family. But, you know, so I think that was the thing, probably just the busy schedules as, as everybody got older. That probably became more of a thing. And, you know, also in our particular experience, mom started to work at a certain point as well. She started to be out of the house more as well. So that started to also mark a different little bit of a different texture and a little different tone in the house. But, yeah, so it's 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 interesting. And you know what else I was really sort of as an aside, this isn't really related, but I was mindful of this. There was a very specific period for me. There was a really there was a sweet spot almost between when video games weren't really a thing because the, the NES hadn't come out yet and the Atari had fallen by the the Atari 2600 had fallen by the wayside by like 82 83 we weren't really playing that anymore so there was like a little 3 year sweet spot where video games weren't even a distraction in the morning so it was really just at that point let's say it was between 83 and 86 at some point there was a thing where cartoons on saturday morning there was nothing you know it wasn't like you were popping in the cartridges in nintendo that was a very specific time for cartoons and as i look at the dates of some of my favorite cartoon shows they fall right in that wheelhouse interestingly you know a lot of them so that's also a funny little aside that I wasn't mindful of, actually, that, I, you know, that had dawned on me at some point while I was thinking about doing the episode. It's super interesting, actually, that you bring that up, because it's funny that the market had reacted, at, you know, in 82, 83, moving into 85, 86 to video games, not only domestically, but around the world in such a way that it was a fad that was never going to come back. And it was an inflection. It was a really it's a, it's a really interesting inflection point. It would be hard to believe that it would never have come back, especially with the technology we have today. But what I do wonder, Dagan, often is. 
were there there must have been people that were hanging on like there must have been enthusiasts there weren't really new games being made or anything like no. that but people you know and obviously people were playing pretty voraciously on both IBM compatible PCs and PCs and, at that point and Apple twos and, and Macs actually beginning in like 82, 83, 84. So yeah, absolutely. I've never really thought about it through that prism of this situation in which people were not playing video games at, at really in a mainstream way, even in arcades, really, there was just not nothing interesting coming out. That's you know? the interesting thing there for me as a kid, especially being of my age, I never really saw that drop off because I think arcades are what filled in the gap. Oh, okay. So all what sense. we were doing, we were just we weren't saying, oh, we were playing at home. We were put, we weren't sort of, you know, pulling it apart and saying, you know, it didn't matter. We were playing video games for that span between that, you know, like quote unquote span between Atari and the NES coming out. There was arcade machines. I mean, in fact, a lot of exciting things like the you know like Dragon's Lair and Space Ace and stuff had fallen in between those two things. So there were mm-hmm. other things going on that filled in that void. There wasn't really a void, you know. I mean, it was just a home console void. It was just a home console void, but we weren't even thinking about it along those terms, you know. And also, you have to remember there were consoles that Atari put out after the VCS, after the twenty six hundred. They had their own consoles coming out. Fifty two hundred was one, right? And, right, yeah. and you had the Intellivision and the ColecoVision. So there were other things. They just didn't have because of the price of entry. I think they just didn't have a, a strong foothold. As the other consoles did, but they we should were. definitely do it. We should definitely do a twenty six hundred episode. Yeah, definitely. That's on the list. That's on the list. That's definitely gonna be one. You I have walked to into my retro video game store the other day, and I know Atari collecting for Atari isn't quite. You know, I think it has its ups and downs and its peaks and valleys, but it's generally not as popular. Bins ninety nine cents. Atari games ninety nine cents. Just whatever you wanted, just ninety nine cents a piece. You know, it's like unbelievable. I wonder if those things would be worth picking up. Like, will they ever be valuable? I'm, I'm really, do, I really am convinced of the idea that if every anything that almost anything that lasts long enough becomes novel in the future. Absolutely, it's going to have its time to come back. We've talked, I think, even on this show about how I have hundreds of and hundreds of PS3 and PS4 games, physical PS3 and PS4 games, half of which that are completely unopened, that have never been like, and I'm like. Some of them was like Apache helicopter or something like just bullshit. Some, you know, not not all of them. Some of them are really valuable. Some games. of them are good. I have a sealed copy of Persona 4 on PS2, for instance. But that's a good one. Yeah, it's a great one. But there's these kind of more budget or $40 mid-tier games or kind of lower end AAA games where I'm like, I still think that a sealed copy of this is going to be fucking cool as hell in 50 years. Oh, yeah. No, not even that long. It's going to have its time. If you look at the trajectory of the NES, it's not going to be that long. No, it definitely won't be. Yeah, because like, what's the cheapest you can get a sealed NES game for? Just any NES game. Yeah, it's got to be. It's got to be three digits, right? You're not going to get anything below sealed. No, I doubt it. Like any sealed NES game below hundred. Yeah, Yeah, good point. So that's that's the point. Is like, yeah, no, good point. That's what I keep telling Erin. She doesn't really want me to get rid of anything, but we we do have a not a space problem, but I don't like having a lot of things. No, you don't. I I like being minimal. I love throwing things out. I throw things out all the time. (laughs) Purging. And yeah, like I just get rid of shit. There's that Japanese book that came out that Aaron bought that's pretty famous. It sold millions of copies. I can't think of the author's name, but it's about this. It's by this Japanese woman translated into English. That's all about decluttering your life and like what you're supposed to do I love with that your shit. Idea of that. And it's like you take you're supposed to take all your shit and basically all of it and like put it on a in a pile basically. And literally, the only things you have to ask yourself is: Does it have utility? And does it bring you joy? And if the answer to either of those is no, throw it away. 
See that? Very thoughtful approach to life. Pretty cool book. I'll have to, yeah, I'll have to show you. Aaron's introduced it, me to it. You can flip through it pretty quick. I but. love that. I love the cleansing nature of that. the materialism is too much for me but i'm loath to get rid of those things because i just feel like i don't know if i'm right or not but i feel like between all the merch that i have especially like journalist only merch or press kits and all that kind of stuff yeah, i have yeah. a bunch of special editions things that were like never given to like people outside of like a few outlets and stuff like that really that just rare come with things names. yeah plus like hundreds of games half of them sealed like i feel like i'm kind of sitting on if i just let it mature like kind of a gold mine oh you, well, you should definitely i mean and so that's the only reason i keep that stuff you know yeah, because oh, because it, it doesn't bring me joy, but I guess it'll. It doesn't bring you joy. No, not really. See, that's and I think that's good. I think that's good to acknowledge that. No, that having all this shit in, under you know in fucking totes in my closet doesn't bring me joy at all. Right, I hear that. But I, I also that. know that I'm gonna like you know go on whatever eBay is in 30 years and see that I got rid of Apache helicopter sealed, and then someone's selling it for you know 150 <laughs> galactic dollars, whatever the fuck it is we're spending at the time. <laughs> So that's the, you know, it's pragmatism that keeps me there. There are things I want to collect. I'm totally going to collect G.I. Joe when I have the space. I can't wait to do that. I'm going to go nuts with it. I can't wait to do that. I'm going to be one of those dorks on YouTube with like a room of G.I. Joe shit. You you have to. I think it'll be so fun for you. When you walk in, I'm going to have a little sensor that it'll sense you there and it'll say Cobra. When you walk in. (laughs) So... You mentioned something interesting that I want to follow up on, Dagan, okay. with you, which is the aspirational kind of way that a cartoon made you feel to make you want to go out and play. And I do remember that. I remember not being able to get through sometimes an entire cartoon or shut off a video game in in, in rapid succession or whatever and just go because I was playing Castlevania and then I wanted to go run in the woods or something like that. And, Absolutely. And, that was pretty special stuff. So tell me, do you remember specific, and I don't want to say specific instances. That's almost too specific. I can't, I don't imagine that you would remember that. But do you remember what might have inspired you by those cartoons or what cartoons inspired you to go out and, yeah. and see the world? Absolutely. I think I remember it in stages, you know, starting from a young age and working my way up in age. One of the first things that I remember really inspiring me, and I hope this isn't boring for people because I'm going to talk about, there's so many cartoons and there's so many different things we grew up you know, from the 70s through to the 90s. But I'm going to talk about the things that spoke to me the most. And one of the earliest cartoons I remember really speaking to me was a Hanna-Barbera show called Speed Buggy. And Speed Buggy was a show, a lot of you guys might remember it. There actually weren't that many episodes. I think ultimately there's only 12 or 16 episodes in total. For a syndicated show, that's not very much. And... They would rerun these things for years on end. But it was about a very Scooby-Doo-centric Hanna-Barbera model. A group of teenage kids. There was three of them. And I think it was Debbie, Mark, and Tinker. And Speed Buggy, who was like this anthropomorphic dune buggy. And do you know Do you know it? Can I you don't think it? I do. I can't picture it, no. You know, Speed Buggy had the face, like his fog lights were the eyes, and he had the mouth, and he was like, room zoom zoom and, you know, he would talk, and he was goofy, and Tinker was like the mechanic, the kid with that who was like the mechanic. Mark was like the studly, you know, Freddy-type surrogate. Then there was the, you know, the girl character, and they were all friends, and they would drive Speed Buggy in various races, and they would fight bad guys. It was very, It was very much a Scooby-Doo model. But Speed Buggy got me, I think, interested in cars and interested in cartoons all in one. He was He's like this very appealing design, really big tires. And this is a very, really strong appeal. I, it always really kind of resonated with me. 
And that was the first cartoon I remember really being excited about coming on. And there were very few when cart when Warner Brothers, when Cartoon Network and Turner sort of swallowed up WB and Hanna Barbera as a result of that, they had a few different things of merchandise, like a little plush speed buggy, a little matchbox, like a like a Hot Wheels, a couple of different things, which I a little lunchbox, which I got as much as I could, but there was very few merchandise for the show. It wasn't popular. It wasn't big. But that was the very first one I remember as a very little kid really speaking to me. And then you know what the the second one that really spoke to me was a show, a live action show that was mixed with claymation and stop motion, which was called Land of the Lost. And Land of the Lost was a production done by Sid and Marty Croft Productions who did a lot of that sort of trippy 70s era stop motion live action mixed content like Sigmund the Sea Monster and stuff like that. And Land of the Lost was a really weird show where a family, I think they were called the Marshall family, don't quote me on that, but they sort of get trapped in this alternate universe where there's basically dinosaurs. It's very strange. And the dinosaurs are all stop motion and claymation. I think a little bit of claymation in there. And then there's some other bad guys that they're fighting in there. And then there's these sort of Neanderthal type people that help them. And Land of the Lost was always, you know, the theme song was really cool. And it was almost like, think of like an early, very primitive looking Jurassic Park. You know, the dinosaurs in the beginning, the mom and dad and the kids are running away and the T-Rex is trying to get them. And that was a really, if you guys have never, especially younger guys, have never seen or heard of Land of the Lost, look at the one from the 70s because I think they eventually remade it. But it's very, very indicative of the 70s. It feels very 70s. But that was one that was really, really got me psyched as a kid. And really captured my imagination. And I think that was one of the early ones that made me want to go out and play. Like, I'm going to pretend I'm in the land of the lost and the dinosaurs are attacking. And we got to figure out how to stop them. And the third one for me, and I don't know if you would remember this one, Kyle. Because it's a little older than you, but it's into the 80s now. Was a live action show on Saturday mornings called The Baseball Bunch. And it was hosted by Johnny Bench who was then, I, guess, I think he was a catcher for the Cincinnati Reds. So it was Johnny Bench hosted this show, and it was basically an instructional show teaching kids how to play Little League Baseball. And it, I think it was done by MLB Productions, and it was Johnny Bench, Tommy Lasorda was in it, and the San Diego Chicken, which I think was, I guess, the Padres mascot at that point. <laughs> he was called the famous San Diego Chicken. And as famous he was. And he was indeed famous. And then there was eight kids of various ages. I think there were like seven or eight to 14 or 15 that were the bunch in baseball bunch. And, and the 15 year olds were throwing, heat, throwing heat at the seven-year-olds. <laughs> and this is how you brush somebody. Back. Here's a little chin mute. This is how you give them a little chin music. And then they would have special guests. Major leaguers would come on and teach the kids how to hit or how to play the field. And that one was the first one I remember like, that came on as I remember. I would love to know who remembers this show actually out there. If you remember this, let me know. That was the one that came on later on Saturday morning. Let's say after all the cartoons, it came on like around 1130. Because it was a little bit, bit bigger kid, right? I remember by the, by the time that show ended, I was like so ramped up to go outside and play. And, you know, at that point it was baseball. And 
I remember not really liking, I was involved in Little League Baseball from a very young age, you know, from T-ball, like a lot of kids are, you know, then and now. But I remember not really, like, being in love with going to Little League. But I used to love playing baseball just with my friends in the neighborhood. I don't know if it was the inherent pressure that came with it or, you know, not necessarily being with your friends, maybe guys you didn't know as well. I had a really mean coach in the beginning, this guy, this guy, Wayne, he was just not, my second coach was great, but this guy that I had for my first initial couple of years, I didn't like, I remember mom not liking him too much. So my baseball experience was so much more positive just through this show that I was watching and just going out inside and playing with my friends. So that was the third, those were the first three was definitely speed buggy baseball bunch and land of the lost. And you know, this is really dating me because I think now we're getting into like 81, you know, baseball bunch might've been like 81 or something with the San Diego chicken with the famous San Diego chicken. (laughs) And I think, yeah, I think I, I was reading something about it, just researching for the episode and I hadn't seen the baseball bunch. I, and I remember the theme song was like, we got a hunch you'll love the baseball bunch. <laughs> it was like really kind of cheesy, <laughs> but it was like kind of cool, like kind of ahead of its time, you know, with the instructional aspect of it and sort of the positive, you know, and you could see MLB, you know, you could see there's a strategy behind that, getting kids interested in baseball. And, you know, let's see if we can get more kids out there and active in this thing. You know, if there was some some sort of long-term philosophy with that or whatever but that was a great show and that's one of the few things besides like things like the star wars christmas special that i have not gone back and watched the the, that is still i am completely talking from memory of how that was and seeing seeing in my mind's eye strictly from memory didn't watch anything on youtube it's funny that you remember the theme song so yeah i mean i really loved that we're talking about that was like we're nearing uh that being 40 years ago is that is that unbelievable? It's fucking horrifying. Actually. It's crazy. It's horrifying that we're close to a date in the 1980s being 40 years ago. Yeah, it was 80 to 85. The show was so on. We're getting asked at 38. So that was a huge one for me. That was a really huge one for me. And then you know it's sort of filled up you know in the 80s with the Hanna Barbera cartoons, you know Smurfs and Snorks. You know later on, you know Super Friends was a huge one for me. Who amongst you collected Smurf toys? I did. You did. Okay. I was the first one. I think the girls, you know, Dana and our sisters, Dana and Allie, who are young, you know, Dana's a year and a half younger than me. Allie's five years younger than me. So they sort of got into collecting it too, but I think a little less seriously. Like I was for a while, that was my big thing was Smurfs. I don't think I even really knew that. I remember us having all of those Smurf toys that pretty yeah. well made. They were, they were static, right? Like you couldn't, yeah, really they do were rubber toys. They were molded. So they weren't poseable, right? But they were pretty um, detailed. And yeah, just like complete rubber mold, painted rubber mold. And then they had the different characters. They had really a lot of them. And then they had like the little mushroom houses and various play sets, cars and stuff like that. Who is that aimed at? I remember watching Smurfs, but I don't think Smurfs was really a thing at all when I was cognizant. I'm still a little confused what gender that show was aimed at. I both. I think that was a strategic. Like like one of those very rare. It came over from Europe. Because the original artist, comic artist, over there. <laughs> I don't know if he was Dutch, but Peo. Oh, there's no doubt that Peo is right. It had yeah. to be Dutch, yeah, right? It must. And it started as a comic <laughs> thing, and I think it started as almost like if you think about like a Charles Schultz Peanuts thing. Like it was a sort of a thing on stationery. It was like this cute, almost Hello Kitty type thing. Mm. Very appealing drawings. 
that they sort of somehow they leveraged it and made a cartoon series out of it. And that, you know, I think that was a very sort of geared towards America, North America strategies. Like, let's just take this thing and make a cartoon out of it. That'll get kids into it. And Smurfs was a phenomenon, Kyle. I mean, that started in 81. That I mean, Smurfs was a, tre- was a global trend. That was like way past, when at its in its heyday, way past Hello Kitty. It was Smurfs everything. It was Smurfs. You had to have the Smurf shirt, the Smurf stickers, the Smurf sticker book, the Smurf lunchbox. What was so intriguing about the Smurfs? I think it was just cute. I honestly think it was just cute. I could so see so very the, similar to Hello Kitty or very just very Caropia colorful. Yeah, colorful, cute. Yeah, people just dug it. You know, it falls very in line with those things that you could see being popular in the eighties. You know. I was very into the toys. I, don't, I haven't talked about that a lot, but at a certain point, even before G.I. Joe, it was like Star Wars and Smurfs. That's what I was into. You know, every time I go to the flea market, it was like, all right, we're going to go, you know, mom and grandma and Aunt Carla are going to go shopping at the flea market. If you're good, at the end of the day, we'll get you one Smurf, you know, and then I just built up my little Smurf collection. I would play with them too, just like action figures. You know, I was in, there was a period of time where I was into those. Interesting. I don't know that I, that, I feel like I'm learning something new about you today. Yeah. Smurfs was a big thing. Cause I, I know, know I always are, assumed but... it was Dana or Allie that was collecting. No, them. that was more me. They did have some, you know, like Dana would get a little Smurf fat or something like that. Right, right. But no, I was the one that built up the collection of them. Papa Smurf. Papa Smurf. Who was the Smurf with the flower on its head? Was that, that was Vanity. Vanity. And he would always look in the mirror. Yeah. He had the little Smurf. Hence the name. Are we there yet, Papa Smurfs? Papa Smurf? Not yet, my little Smurfs. Oh. Is that something that was said? Yeah. They would oh. just keep asking it over again. Oh, over I kind of vaguely remember that. Every, and everything was Smurf. Well, that's just Smurfy. Or have a Smurfy day. I think I would kill someone if I had to watch this. This show makes me actually sound like You've a never seen Smurfs. I know I, I know. I watched it as a kid, but I, with you, I guess, or I guess someone, I remember it was being on. on. Yeah, it yeah, was, it was on. on. But I don't know that as an adult I can possibly tolerate it. <laughs> To be perfectly honest with you, just what, just specifically based on what you told me, it's very strange. And then Gargamel is like the evil wizard who yeah. lives in the woods, and his whole goal is just to capture and eat Smurfs. I see. That's his whole thing: is to find Smurf village so he could capture them all and eat them. Oh, cook them and eat them? I don't know. Maybe. I kind of feel like I'm rooting for him a little bit. You like? Yeah, you. I like... mean, he doesn't. T- he doesn't switch around verbs and nouns like that, does he? <laughs> and makes no. everything in the. No, no. He's he's just a normal dude. Then I say, let the genocide continue. The Smurf genocide. (laughs) You mentioned something that I want to follow up on before I get into some of my stories. Eric Clyde wrote in and said, hey, guys, love knockback. Thank you so much, Eric. Appreciate you. Thanks, Eric. What was your go-to breakfast cereal? Ooh, I like this question. I was always after that Leprechaun's Lucky Charms, he says. Oh, me Lucky Charms. Breakfast cereal certainly does have a relationship with Saturday mornings, Saturday morning cartoons, Saturday morning breakfast. I mean, it's it's an intimate relationship. Of course. My question in this health-conscious day is that are kids even eating cereal to the same extent? Like, I just don't know that parents are giving their kids cereal like they used to. I, I, I it just seems like it's sugar to me. I'm not a parent. I'm not judging you if you do. I'm just saying that that seems antithetical to a more rational upbringing for 2018. But I still yeah. feel like it was an awesome part of my childhood. I loved cereal, dude. Oh, my God. Loved it. Too. Can you imagine? What were some of your favorites? My all-time go-to, and still one of my favorites to this day, because it's no different than it was when we were kids, was Fruity Pebbles. I could eat a box of Fruity Pebbles in no time flat. Fantastic cereal. Oh, it's so good, dude. And my kids love it, but... Speaking to that, they're not allowed to really have, like, there's so much more 
there's so many more health-conscious cereals on the market now, and they're not bad. It's not that they're bad. They taste good, but the, the thing is organic is one component, and the other component is getting rid of the high-fructose corn syrup, right, which is becoming big food got away with that for a long time, but now even big food's got to bend down to that because people look at the label. If it has high-fructose corn syrup on it, they won't buy it, you know. So even companies like Kraft and Kellogg's and, you know, Ralston and, you know, all the big companies, they have to fall in line now with this stuff. And you're seeing that happen now. You know, it's not just the little offshoot organic brands. Now everybody's got to fall in line. But, yeah, the, and you know what's amazing? All those cereals, Tricks, Lucky Charms, Fruity Pebbles, Cocoa Pebbles, all the sweet sugary cereals that we grew up with, Fruit Loops, they're all on the shelf still. People are buying them, obviously, but it's just that there's many more varieties. You know, my kids love. See, for me, it's like life cereal. It's it's just as good. Just give your kid, just give your kids a life cereal. It kind of it's not as fun. There's no, you know, now it's very rare that there's even a toy in the cereal box. That's probably going to be illegal soon. Or That's something. completely frowned down upon now. I remember my kids like. It wasn't even it wasn't even Lego. It was like Mega Block. There was like a little Mega Block set in some cereal, and we got so we collectively the three of us got so excited. There was actually a toy that we had to get two boxes of it just to get the toy because I wanted them to see what it was like to get a friggin' toy in the cereal box, you know. But I think that's largely frowned down upon, and I think a lot of that is the government, you know, all those government stipulations. You can't bait the kids into the right, right. eating the, the stuff that's bad for them and all yeah, that no, kind of no stuff. one's about to have any fun now what's your favorite cereal of old i think that lucky charms is probably the choice it's a but good but i must say that there was a store brand okay lucky charms that called magic stars i at, remember that at finest <laughs> which then turned into edwards which i think now is stop and shop yeah something like that's that. right i think that's right and the magic stars were better than the Lucky Charms. Then Lucky Charms. I loved the game of the willpower game that you'd play with yourself where sometimes you would eat all of the oat clusters or, or oat pieces and save all the marshmallows to the end. Oh, okay. Or do like, I would do games where it's like one spoonful of marshmallows, but then I'd have to eat like three spoonfuls Absolutely. of the greens or whatever to keep the balance there. That's very And good. if you can challenge yourself, like I very rarely just ate a bowl until I was older of, of like Lucky Charms without playing some sort of neurotic game with myself while that's I was doing free, it. That's pretty funny. But other shout outs, Fruity Pebbles. I love Fruity Pebbles. So I love good. Fruit Loops. I thought Fruit Loops were excellent. I was a little disturbed when they added the blue ring. I didn't, I wasn't a huge fan of yeah, that. Yeah, that's still a thing. That made me a little bit disgruntled. I love Honey Nut Cheerios. Those are good. My kids like those. And you know what? You could buy those because... They're just they're they're sweetened with honey, you know what I mean. It's not high fructose corn syrup. It's not a chemical sugar, you know. So it's like, you know, it's funny how you change as a parent. I I'm more inclined to say okay, like once every couple of months, get the box of free pebbles, like let the kids enjoy themselves type of thing, you know. But just so they could kind of see what it, what it was like to eat junky cereal once in a while. Yeah, just give know? it to them and then take it away. <laughs> <laughs> and shout out to fruity. Uh, not Fruity Pebbles, Lucky Charms. They're still putting out new marshmallows in that cereal. Do they have the old ones still, though? Like the Yeah, I think they have all the holdovers. I remember still, I remember children when they added the red balloon. Yes. I remember there being commercials introducing it. I don't know if there was some sort of contest or, you know, like when they added the, I don't know if people remember this, when they added in like 95, 96, when they added the blue m M&M. I'm not an M&M fan. Oh, the blue m M&M. But I remember you, they were adding, you could vote. Like they were going to add like a purple one, a blue one or something like that. And blue one. 
but you like would call a number and vote. And I remember voting for it. Did you vote for the blue? Yeah, yeah, because I love blue. But I remember the red balloon commercials because they would be like, and now the red, like they'd have the little song about the marshmallows that were in it. I don't remember exactly what the, how the song went, you know? <laughs> you have like it's the the green shamrock and the you know like whatever and then and the red balloon at the end now. You or, know what? I might have to I might have to take exception with this. Wasn't the purple horseshoe the first one that was new? And then the red balloon? I don't remember there never being a purple horseshoe. Yeah, so if that horseshoe happened, seems like a common one. If that happened that was that was before my time. Yeah, know? yeah, and that could have been. That actually could have been before your time i'm kind of curious i'm gonna look it up as we we go through the rest of the show the one thing i do remember is that we'd always have cheerios in the house regular cheerios yeah which i think are totally fine and totally tasty but i also remember just dumping a shit ton of sugar into oh yeah absolutely just had your own sugar in there there were certain little treats though like i don't remember mom and dad ever really (laughs) the funny thing is is all throughout high even up through in high school and stuff like mom and dad never told i don't remember mom and dad ever really making me eat right I don't recall that. It wasn't like I was eating junk. And I, I had no, I wasn't attracted to, there were certain things I just wasn't attracted to. Yeah. Like yeah. you didn't have to worry about me eating candy because I didn't like it. I didn't eat chocolate, but I like, I would mainline Coca-Cola. Like it was going. Right, right, right. And they were okay with that. Yeah. Dad, all, all dad used to buy me in high school. Like, first of all, you come home with McDonald's or shit and shit like that for me all yeah, the time. Yeah, or yeah. Taco Bell, Burger King, whatever. I remember making, we used to go to Burger King when they had jalapeno poppers and just buy like 40 jalapeno poppers for dinner. <laughs> Dad just, I think dad just wanted to shut me up at just some point. Just placate you. Yeah, just be like, just go away. <laughs> go you know, go smoke weed with your friends. There you go. Um, but <laughs> That's hilarious. Like, come home and eat whatever the hell it is I'm going to cook you. I liked when dad always, dad grilled a lot for me, which was cool, though. Yeah, I was going to say, besides breakfast, he did, dad manned the grill. I just think that at times were different. Like, I subsisted in, in high school. 90% of my diet at home was meatball hot pockets and Lipton bu- butter noodles. <laughs> oh, my God. Before hockey games, I would eat an entire package of Lipton butter noodles, oh which is God, probably so like legit. That's got to be probably twenty five hundred calories. Oh my God! You I think imagine? you. I'm pretty sure you put in a stick of butter. Are you serious? Yeah, like in a, like it's made for like a family of four or six people. <gasps> and you, I would make it one of those casserole dishes, like you know those circular oh rich casserole God. dishes, and then just eat it the whole day. Eat the whole thing. Yeah. You and then go and boy. then and then go play hockey. Oh my God! You were a growing boy. You needed it at that point. It's funny. I remember the advent of cereal. One thing that I remember, I, I must have been pretty little, like discovering that I could just take the giant salad bowl and pour the cereal in it and just eating like four bowls of cereal at once. Like that was a big discovery for me. Like I don't have to use this little cereal bowl. I could just put three quarters of the box of Fruity Pebbles right in this bowl and just devour it, you know? So funny. And then, you know what the other thing I remember? This is kind of a r- really specific thing, but I remember around Halloween time, you know, like the week or two after Halloween and giant bowls of candy, me and my, you know, our sisters would go trick-or-treating and we'd just pull all our candy. It'd be gigantic salad bowls, multiple, on top of the fridge because we weren't going to get them up there. I was like 11 years old. Like I could have got the, so I would come downstairs at like six in the morning, take the giant bowl of candy off the fridge and, you know, six o'clock in the morning, I'm eating fistfuls of candy while i'm watching cartoons i remember that week after halloween was always this like that's what i that was breakfast and it's not i mean just like pounds of it dude i would just eat pat be eating pounds of candy you know while i was watching that so that week was always like the sweet spot that week after halloween was always like the sweet spot like i know what i'm having when i wake up in the morning it was like it was like extra incentives to wake up an hour and an extra hour and a half early just like start eating candy 
I, everybody was still asleep. It's so funny because I just never had. I don't know why I was had such an aversion to it. Yeah, you never were a candy. It's guy. like not only did I not like candy, I was like pretty grossed out by it. Where I'm like, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't you understand. really weren't feeling. I really think a lot of it has to do. At least the provenance of my dislike of some of it has to do with like the idea that you're like sucking on it or like just just dealing with it for a long period of time instead of just eating it. Instead of just eating it. Makes sense. That makes sense in a way. I always felt like I was missing out on something though. You just don't have a sweet tooth. It's weird because I, I love Coke and Pepsi. That's true. You do like you do like sugary drinks. And and you know, some sugary cereals and stuff, but you know, a lot of people would be like, I'd rather, you know, I'd eat a such you know, Sunday every day or I would yeah, yeah. Or, you know, a vanilla milkshake or whatever. And I'm like, I would pound a cheeseburger 10 out of 10 times before I'd ever touch an ice cream cone. Yeah, you want the savory yeah. foods over the sweet foods. Or maybe the umami, as they would call it. Oh, Japanese. umami. If I might show you some of my culture, sir. Nice. Well done. Via Wikipedia. The first boxes of Lucky Charm cereal contained marshmallows in the shapes of pink hearts, mm-hmm. yellow moons, orange stars, and green clovers. This was in the 60s. The lineup has changed occasionally, beginning with the introduction of blue diamonds oh. in 1975. Hello. Followed by Purple Horseshoes in 1983. I remember that. That's why I don't know that. You, yep. That's Red Balloons before. in 1989. So that was my first. All right. And then Green Trees in 1991, Rainbows in 1992, Blue Moons 1995, Leprechaun Hats in 1997. Oh. I remember Blue Diamonds, Red Hearts, the Clovers, the Balloons, and yeah. maybe the Rainbows, and that's it. The rainbows, I remember that being a thing. Did they ever release a Lucky Charms where it was just the marshmallows? Is that a thing? Yeah, you know what that is? I think they did that, but I'm not sure. Is is that Kellogg's or is that Quaker? I don't know. I forget which company that is, but I think they might have released it like it's like a candy store thing. They don't, they don't sell it in the supermarket. And I'm not even sure if it's an off-brand, but they did start doing that. It's just the cereal marshmallows in a box, a giant box. But I'm not sure if it was actually proper Lucky Charms. I see. Yeah. I see. No, I don't think they would do that. Back on the topic of cartoons. Yes, please. Nick Gorbler wrote into us and said, On Saturday mornings, I would set my VCR to record the morning cartoon lineup. It was tricky because if I remember right, I could only record one channel at one time with the cable I had. I rolled the dice after each new season started. And looking back on what you and Dagan watched in different decades, what do you remember as your perfect lineup of cartoons on Saturday morning? Do you remember a, a specific era, a golden era for you of Saturday morning cartoons? Mm. Or is it really a more of a hodgepodge? I remember... I don't remember really a lineup, not for Saturday mornings, for weekdays I remember lineups, but for Saturday mornings I just remember specific things for specific eras. I don't remember back to back, the only back to back thing I remember was kind of a weird one, was the cartoon Inhumanoids. And then Jason the Wheeled Warriors was on right after Inhumanoids, but that might have been a weekday thing. You know, two cool action cartoons. And Humanoids was actually pretty pretty weird, disturbing show about these crazy toxic monster things. And Jason and Wheel Warriors was awesome with that awesome, like, Shuki Levy theme song. But those are the only two I remember. I Does he talk about a specific lineup that he enjoyed? No, he doesn't. He doesn't say. I would look, because I would like to. I don't remember that. Straw Hat Ninja did write in and asked us a similar question, but said that he enjoyed blocks like four kids in one Saturday morning. Oh, my but gosh. That makes are, me feel old. I worked on some of those. Things. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't even know what those are. <laughs> yeah, those are like come later. Four kids. Yeah, that's all 2000s stuff. Yeah, Maybe there's some, 90s. There's some, young, there's some young people that listen yes. to our show. Young I know kids. that there are some some kids in high school that listen to the show, which is great. 
That's uh, fantastic. I, I like that you have an that. interest in yeah. what happened before you. The past. If I were Your these roots. kids, I don't know. I, I guess I do have just a fascination with everything that's old, like literally anything. So maybe I'm not the person to ask, but I would imagine I'd be quite fascinated if I were a young person today with the analog days. I would oh. be absolutely up its ass. It was so it, learning, different. Trying to learn it, you know? Absolutely. Just learn what it was like. It's interesting. Do you ever want to go back and live that way? I think it was kind of, I think there was a, there's a something to be said for it because it was more, it was, things were just made to be more special. Everything was more special. Everything was more of an experience because it wasn't, you couldn't get whatever you wanted whenever you wanted it, you know? And I think it does come down to that. It just makes it things more exclusive and more special and that you had to work a little harder. So when you were able to enjoy things, it was more rewarding. You know, I think there's something to be said for that. It's not just a thing of, you know, I am getting, I am getting up there in years. I am getting older and I am a little, you know, a little curmudgeonly, but no, I think it's, I think there's something to be said for the way it was. You know, I think it was more, you know, with commercials and, it just seems I, I just don't know what kids are gonna get nostalgic about now. Like what are kids our kids gonna look back on twenty years from now and feel nostalgic about, you know? I don't know. It's it's interesting because I'm nostalgic for a lot of things, but I think back even on the flip phone days or the early smartphone days when I had a Palm Pre and like you had three G internet or you not even and stuff like that. So maybe maybe it'll just be these similar technologies. It's always something, right? I mean, yeah, that's true. Yeah, you know, yeah. I always laugh because my son's so into retro. He's into modern games too, but he's also he's very into retro games. He's very into Shovel Knight. He's very into Mega Man and Mega Man X and NES and Super Nintendo and stuff. Is he gonna look back and be nostalgic about those things? That'd be awesome. (laughs) You know what I mean? Then he'll have the same nostalgia we have, which is really funny during that era. No, and yeah, and he's thirty years younger. You know, it's crazy. So. It's 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 pretty funny. I always laugh about that. It's very cool. The other thing that people had brought up and that I, I was thinking about in my own notes, Dagan, were this idea of Friday night sleepovers and how that would segue into your Saturday mornings. Very nice. Do you have memories of that? Definitely. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And it was always it was always a little bit of a different experience. It was always colored a little different depending on whose house you slept over, which friend. Because it was always a little different. Different parents, different, maybe one was a little more strict. One parent was, you know, one set of parents was prone to give you a little more snacks. When, you know, there's always a different feel in each house. Or, you know, versus having the sleepovers at your own house, which is also a different thing, you know, which is also kind of cool. Yeah, that's a great, that's a really great point. Because, yeah, spending Saturday morning with friends was actually really cool. You know, what enjoying cartoons together and getting excited to go outside and play and, you know, I remember many a like cartoon watching session, whether it was at our house or Tommy's house, depending on where we slept that night, you know, just like couldn't even control ourselves anymore. Like we just started playing Transformers or G.I. Joe's while the cartoons are on. Like you just get inspired to go do those things, you know, and it's funny, too, because I don't see like my I'm very blessed to have kids, my kids and also my nieces and nephews as well. And their friends and my kids' friends, smart kids, they're bookish. My kids love to learn. They do well in school. They really enjoy reading. But my kids will sit in front of a tablet for five hours, and then it's not inspiring them to go outside and play anything. 
they do like to go outside and play. They're into dancing. They're into their different athletic things that they do. But I remember just the, all, soaking in all the media, soaking in whether it was a video game or a cartoon like that. I was filling up with getting inspired to go do something. I wasn't going to stay there all day. So it, I don't know what's changed, but it seems like kids, that's not working the same way anymore. You know, like for us, it was fueling us with an excitement. You know, we saw like G.I. Joe commercials for a new G.I. Joe toy and then a couple of shows that we really dug. And then we, you know, we would be something captured our imagination. We were filling up and then we would go outside and play, you know, or go play action figures upstairs or whatever. I don't see that. I don't see that anymore. Yeah. Do kids. I mean, it sounds such an like old man yells at clouds thing, I guess. But do kids do really people go out and play anymore? Is that like a thing where you go out and play in your neighborhood and you and you dick around? You know, like I just it's remember having than... no I remember having no agenda. That right. was like what I remember was like having just no idea what would end up happening. Maybe we'd play wiffle ball or maybe we'd go into the woods or ride bikes to the to the water or do something like there was just ne- and it was a very Absolutely. schizophrenic and almost ADD agenda at times. Yeah, you were just being kids. There was no plan, and and I don't remember ever. No script. I don't remember checking in with mom or dad. I don't remember doing really like we. I would just leave. Maybe you tell them where you're going, and then like ten hours later, you just come. You I love when of... Jerry Seinfeld talks about that. He's like, you, you know, we were kind of like like a little bit like raccoons. Like our parents knew we were out there somewhere, but they didn't know exactly what was going. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's true. It's so funny. No, I mean, there's much more of a watchful eye now on the kids. But my kids do go outside and play. You know, my son spent all weekend with the twins across the street. He has two. There's two little girls his age across the street, and they were doing lemonade stands all weekend cool so they do love to go outside and play it's just that i don't feel like my son's i was telling you before like my son's really getting into breath of the wild he's a little late but that's because it's been in the shrink wrap for two years (laughs) that's how much daddy plays video games but he got really into the game but i don't i could remember playing zelda and i was even older and being like oh i want to go do something i want to go you know go play with something or go outside or go in the woods or something. He would, he would just sit, he'll just sit there and play it for 18 hours straight. You know what I mean? He's not getting inspired to go do anything else. I don't know if it's a different mindset now, or maybe that they are limited that we don't say go play. And like, we'll see you in eight hours. If that's actually part of the limiting on their sort of like, they don't even consider that as an option. You know, it is different. It's it's different, you know, and I think you could get into a lot of reasons why, but it feels different. But I remember I could really feel that palpable excitement of, you know, from being four all the way up through being like nine or ten, you know, depending on what I was we were watching and what we were getting inspired by. But I can remember everything from like being inspired by the Super Friends in the late 70s to being really jazzed by the dra- the Dragon Quest cartoon that came on very early Saturday mornings in the early 90s. It was Dragon Quest Legend of the Hero Abel, which was a Akira Toriyama cartoon series. We, it, of course, they called it Dragon Warrior in the States. But I remember even in 91 being like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like I want to go to the comic shop and see if I can find any Dragon Ball figures or go pick up some manga or whatever. You know what I mean? So I remember always being very excited by that kind of stuff. And it, we almost used it as like a fuel to go do, you know, and at first it was, you know, I'm, I'm inspired to go outside and play. Then as we got older, it's like, I'm, I'm excited to try to draw this or, you know? So I remember that always being a very, a thing that really, you know, 
caused the excitement and kind of fueled the passion of different things. And maybe that's because I, I was growing up to be in, you know, an animator and I always wanted to do that. So maybe it was a special thing too with me. Well, it was always a supplemental thing. I, I feel like, you know, everything, nothing seemed to be monopolizing my time as a youth. I played a lot of games, but yeah, I also read a lot of books and I also played outside and I also played sports. And so you had that balance. I was, I felt like I was pretty well-rounded, but I don't think I ever did it by, by design or like intention. And I don't remember, I don't, maybe it was just by my nature of who I am, but I don't remember mom and dad ever really trying to engineer or change anything I did. As long as I wasn't being an asshole or wasn't being bad, that's different. But if, if I want to just sit there and play blocks all day or just watch TV for five hours and then go read and then go just go in a pool, you just kind of went. I don't remember ever really thinking very deeply about anything. Actually. I think that's cool. I think there's a lot that could be said for that. And having few limits, I feel like it was very, a very inherently freeing thing for, for a child to experience. Like I really, I think our parents are great, but I don't remember them ever being overly concerned about anything I did. Right. I just don't remember there being literally any concern. I don't remember there being a, them saying no to any reasonable ask. Can I, you know, can I go play this? Can I go in the pool now? Can I do this? Can I, I mean, even when I remember like when I was learning how to swim, we had an in-ground pool growing up and I remember learning how to swim when I was four or something like that. And I'd have to wear swimmies. The rule literally was by the time I was like five or six, if, if dad was home, all it was, was if dad was somewhere around, he was home. then I could, I could swim in the pool without swimmies. <laughs> like it's a pretty wild proposition. It is. I was a young kid. It is. You know? When dad's in the city, you have to wear swimmies. When dad's just somewhere on this acre of land. <laughs> somewhere on the premises. <laughs> you know, no matter where he is, you don't have to wear it. It's just, it's funny. I feel like, I, I, I hope some kids are still coming up like that. Yeah. Know? There's something to be said for just unstructured play and just letting kids explore. It's a, it is a different world now, I think. But the weird thing is there wasn't some kind of universal across the globe conversation that parents had where we're, we're going to be, we're going to hover and be much more protective of our children now. It just sort of it happened. Everybody sort of went through this change together, which is really odd. You know, it is odd. I think the world is different if, you know, things feel maybe a little more intense or if things feel more dangerous now than they did 25 years ago. I don't know how true that is, but there is a palpable change. Well, I mean, if you look at crime statistics, I mean, not that there's necessarily a correlation or that there's causation, but Wow, the Long Island really came out when I said that. It's that's I don't ever sound like that anymore. It's weird. <laughs> but it used to be way more violent in the United States. Way more murders, way more kidnappings, way more rapes, you know, violent attacks and stuff like that. I'm sure perpetrated against children just as much of it as adults. And so I don't know that there's necessarily any parallel between those things, but an observer would notice that crime has gone down and children are safer as parents have become more involved. So this whole Wild West thing like you're talking about with Jerry Seinfeld making fun of it and I'm making fun of it. There is something to be said that there was probably more kids getting kidnapped, more kids disappearing, more kids getting catastrophically injured. But I feel like that's kind of part of it. I feel like if you put a child into the world, I'm not saying this as a parent because I'm not one, but you kind of have to run the risk and, and kind of give them the freedom to like fuck themselves up a little bit, I think. Yeah, there's a part of that. There's like, definitely I, a part I think of that's that. true. Yeah, there is a part of that that you have to acknowledge, I think. You know, sometimes it's hard to put into practice, but I, I agree with that, you know. Well, let me tell you a little bit about my quintessential Saturdays beginning in fourth grade. So this is 19 from probably in when I played high school hockey, we only practiced on weekends. And I could talk about that, actually, but we played our games during the week. But it was the opposite when I was on travel teams from fourth grade, when fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade in New England. And. Saturdays were all about like getting up early 
we never had hockey on Friday. Fridays were like, even like, I don't remember ever practicing or anything on Friday. It was like a rare day off. These teams were very serious. We practiced three times a week and played two games a week. So you only had two days off basically. And Saturdays and Sundays were dominated by it. But Saturday games were typically early. And I remember getting up early in the morning on Saturdays. We'd have to wear from our, you know, these travel teams were very serious. Like you wore a tie, like a shirt and tie to the games. And we drove all over the place. And a lot of it was just about getting to the arena an hour before a game. And this was in the pre-GPS, pre-internet, pre-smartphone, anything. Like you just, if you, we lived in Dover, New Hampshire, in York, Maine. If you were going to Bangor, Maine, or if you were going to, you know, Montpelier, Vermont, or if you were going to Newport, Rhode Island or something like you would just have to kind of figure it out and hope and just time it all out, I guess, and hope you get there. It's amazing. And I remember going to Concord, New Hampshire for a game and getting there like 10 minutes before because we got lost and there's just nothing you can do. Right. And like scrambling to get my shit on and the team thought they were going to have to forfeit because they didn't have a goalie. Saturdays became this bonding experience for mom and I driving all over the place to go to these different hockey games and, and embedded in there is the music we would listen to. Uh, Sergeant Pepper's and Magical Mystery Tour were two, rec- you know, two tape cassettes that we had that we listened to a lot. Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill is another one. Wow. The two big ones were Green Day's Dookie, which is a seminal record for me, and No Doubt's Tragic Kingdom, which is another seminal record for me. So kind of wrapping in the kind of sonic accompaniment with kind of bonding with mom and getting to know her in a unique kind of way with playing a sport that I really am still to this day very passionate about. We play it differently. I actually, in the elevator... I think it was earlier today or yesterday. I think it might have been yesterday. It was yesterday. I There was a dad and his three kids. And they were f- speaking French, I noticed. So I assumed... I, I can't really tell French dialect from Quebecois dialect. Yeah, yeah. Like in terms of accent. I'm sure it's very different if you are a native speaker. But I understand a little French. So I talked to him a little bit. And I was telling him, I'm like, you know... So he's like, oh, we're, we're from Quebec. I'm like, I love Quebec. Like I, I played against hockey teams and up there and stuff like that. And... When I was a kid, a beautiful place. And he was like, oh, do you, do you play hockey still? And I'm like, well, here in, in L.A., we play a lot of roller hockey on the beach. So it's a little different. But you kind of remain connected to those memories and that kind of lineage of sport. That was really important to me. Isn't, you know? that, isn't that? And did you ever feel like during that period of time when you were spending your Saturdays that way that you wanted to be doing something else? No, I don't See? remember. I don't remember. That's the thing. And, and looking back, I'm like, this was such a we were talking about how our sister Dana and our, she has three sons and a husband and they are very active, like incredibly, incredibly active people, like yeah. active family, running races, going on trips, going to museums. There's always out. There's always out and about like endeavoring to do something and how the, I, on one hand, I think that's so cool for kids to experience it, for parents to want to do that with their kids. And on the other hand, it stresses me out, <laughs> but because I'm like, I just, I was making you laugh because I'm like, all I do in my entire life is try to manufacture free time to not do anything. I've never manufactured free time as an adult to go on vacation. It's like literally so I can just not do anything. Right, exactly. But I was I was telling you, I was thinking, I'm like, but I feel like that's so lame, <laughs> you know, and that it's actually cool to be excited to go do things on a, every weekend or like go see new things and go to the zoo and do, but I'm like, I don't want to do anything. Right. I literally don't want to go anywhere. So it's amazing that at some time in my, at some point in my life, I lived more like Dana, you know, that the way they live now as that's a family. So, that's so, that's so funny. Man. And that it wasn't only normal to me. It was like totally not a big deal. It was like, this is what we do. This yeah. Is, this is, and it was actually kind of shitty when we didn't do it. When in those two weeks between or three weeks between like summer league and fall league or 
you know, whatever the case might be or instructional. I love like, that. You know, I love that. That's a, that's a really nice warm memory. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It was a great way to spend my youth. Now, when I got to high school and started playing for my high school team, we practiced on Saturday mornings and sometimes Sunday mornings at six in the morning. And, oh, wow. and so I wouldn't go to bed. Oh, you just went straight through? My schedule was bizarre in high school, especially late in high school in 11th and 12th grade. I often went to school like as the last thing I did that day. And when I broke my collarbone, it was the same thing because I wasn't working for like four months. Yeah. So I would literally like go to bed at five in the afternoon, you know, like wake up at like midnight, just like whatever I was doing, go eat random things and watch like bad TV shows like Cheaters. Oh my God. I remember being obsessed with that show. Dude, I was so into Cheaters. That was the best. We could Joey do a whole episode on Joey that. Greco and Tommy Grand were the two hosts, of course. Dude, we, I could do hours on, on Cheaters. I bought Cheaters DVDs. I forgot about Joey Greco. Remember when he got stabbed on the boat? Yes. And like pushed into the water. Dude, that was unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't know how real it ended up being in the end, but I think it was pretty real. There were some pretty intense things on that show. I remember like they would... It was, I got to watch it. They were, it was so serious. They would like, there was like a narrator that did the, like, oh cheaters. yeah. Oh, that was a whole big part and of he, it. And they'd have like the typing sounds as they like explained like the dossier of the person and like have an interview with the person who was like suspecting that their spouse was cheating on them. And then all the footage and the confrontation, like the confrontation, it, they would go to a commercial and be like, coming up, the, the confrontation. confrontation. <laughs> God, PJ and I were so into that show for a while. It was a great. It was a really, really. I'm, I don't. I believe that for for sure. Well, there's one more thing that I wanted to talk about that I sure. thought was kind of related to, to this from a from a user on Patreon, a reader, a listener. Mm-hmm. Isaac Sinova says, "My brothers and I stumbled upon the Sci-Fi Channel anime on Saturday mornings, and it blew our mind. Even edited shows like Wicked City and Project Aiko or Ako. Yeah, Project Aiko were like nothing else on TV." Did you experience anything like that, not knowing about a show or line of programming and just stumbling upon it one Saturday morning? Yes, definitely. What were your experiences with that? For me, there was some other anime stuff, I think. That's the way I stumbled across Battle of the Planets when I was younger, in 1979, 1980, whenever that was. And there was also a channel... I saw this even as recently as maybe five years ago. I think it's one of the, you know, in the cable packages, There's you know how it is. There's literally hundreds of channels. And there's a couple of Christian channels that play, I think they're Christian fundamental type channels, but they play weird anime stuff at night. And a lot of it's like some of the older Miyazaki stuff like Anne of Green Gables and stuff like that. So I discovered... Through the years, I discovered certain things through that, that they would just play these odd anime things, usually f- stuff from the 70s. And PJ and I, the biggest discovery we ever made was one specific thing. There was a Korean TV channel that we would, you know, when we were younger in high school that we would flip through. And we found a J- Japanese cartoon that later on we discovered was called Gege no Kotaro. And it was, it's this crazy cartoon series that's been going on since the 60s and they keep doing it in iterations, like they keep remaking it based, I think, on a manga. And it's about this little boy who's like a ghost hunter, but he's like, I think he, I believe he's a ghost himself. 
and um, it's a big property. They have Famicom games of it and everything. And we discovered this on this Korean and would watch it in, it was in Japanese, but dubbed it or subtitled in Korean, in Korean, I believe. And we would watch it every morning. We found out it was on like 530 in the morning, whatever it was. And so that was one of those things. It was like that we would have never known what it was. You know, it was one of those little odd things that we found on television that we absolutely fell in love with. It's and it's so good. It's so it's hilarious, and it the action scenes are amazing in it. It's so great. Do you have anything like that, Kyle? That you? Yeah. What was coming to mind for me was I was a little young for it, but being born in '84. But I really loved Saved by the Bell. But I would watch Saved by the Bell and Good Morning Miss Bliss in syndication. So these were things that were just on like back to back with literally random ass shit like Power Rangers, which I hated. But there was like oh, this hodgepodge of kind of stuff that was wrapped into this these various blocks uh, after school. And I realized that new episodes of Saved by the Bell were actually on on Saturday mornings on NBC and that there were other young adult live action shows. And this is how I discovered them. So specifically, there was a, a show called California Dreams that was on. And also later on, post-1993, Say by the Bell, the new class was on as okay. well. And I remember running into these for the first time. People might not remember that Say by the Bell ran from like 88 to 93. And there was like a movie, I think, in 94. But in the 93-94 television season, I was in fourth grade, I think. Say by the Bell went actually to primetime for a year. And a lot of people don't realize this. So Say by the Bell went to primetime. It was called the college years. The kids went to UCLA. Oh, I didn't know that. I don't remember that. And it was canceled after one year. Like there was no, there, you know, I think a lot of it was like, look at the success of 90210. This is around the time Melrose Place was around and stuff okay. too. So like the young, oh, I remember that. that adults wanted this kind of soap opera content in primetime. So like I remember watching that and then kind of stumbling upon, I'm like, I thought Say by the Bell was dead. And they, we didn't have the internet. And we didn't really know what was going on. And then tuning in and realizing that there was like this alternate reality split universe version of Say by the Bell with all new kids. And the only person people that are the same is Mr. Belding and Screech, who's like the vice principal or something now or the principal's assistant. Oh, really? Yeah. And so there's all there was a lot of these different shows. And I think Hang Time was another one, which was about like a high school basketball team. I think there was just a lot of low budget live action shows that I remember stumbling upon one after the other. And never really feeling like I captured the magical essence of what Say by the Bell was to me, like the original Say by the Bell, like just such a special show that these were all like half rate versions of it. But the cool thing about it for me was, and Ramon and I talked about this both privately and on the show, the knockback exclusive we did on Patreon for Say by the Bell, which was these were our glimpses as people on the east in the tri-state, basically yeah. of, of California. Like this was what we thought California was like. That's a great point. And. California still has this mystique for people. People get really excited when they come to California for the first time. I'm very blase about it. I've lived here for 11 years. It's like not something I really think about, but I know that it's a very exciting like place for people to come yeah, see it's an for event. themselves. As a young kid, I remember thinking like, oh, this is so cool. They have open air schools and they go to this cafe after class and they drive cool cars and, and stuff like that. And it's really not at all what California is like, actually. <laughs> It's a romanticized version of California. Certainly. Just like when everything takes place in New York City is always gritty and dirty. Right. As if there's not a nice place of Manhattan. <laughs> I remember kind of in sequence watching those shows and being quite enamored with them just for a brief time and then realizing that they just didn't have Those are good. Those are both magic. good examples. So, Dave, do you, do you feel satisfied? Did we cover everything you wanted to say? Yeah. About that? Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I think the other one, the other one I've talked, and I've talked about this cartoon, so I won't go into it too, in too much depth, but... 
Discovering the Mysterious Cities of Gold, that anime series on Nickelodeon. In, later on in the 80s, you know, 86, 87, whenever I found it. That was a very, also a very exciting thing because that was a high quality, episodic, long running series that you could really, that was, you know, a continuous drama and a story playing out that was quite detailed and in depth, you know, so that was always an exciting one. Yeah, I mean, I'll just give some, I'll just give some brief shouts to other Saturday morning cartoons that I loved through the years, but we won't stay on them long. Let's see. Gummy Bears was a big one for me. Do you remember Gummy Bears? I don't think so. Well, I mean, I, I know that it exists, but I don't remember. I remember it. when that was coming out and feeling like, okay, so Disney's putting out a cartoon based on this candy. It sounds so weird. Like it just, I remember late in the summer every year, as I remember, they had a preview of the fall Saturday morning lineup that was going to be on. And they, let's say ABC did it. And they would say, okay, these are the cartoons that are coming on this season. And then they would do like a little half hour show at night talking about what was coming on that fall on Saturday, on their Saturday morning block. And I remember when they were talking about gummy bears being like, Disney's making a cartoon based on the candy. And then it turned out to be this amazing animated, very high quality, very, you know, right up there with DuckTales and all that kind of stuff. Really, a really beautifully done and well-realized and thoughtful animated series that lasted for six years, actually, starting in 85. And then Snorks is another one. The Snorks is another one I'm really um, nostalgic about. And when Helene and I were dating years ago, she made us these really cool Snorks costumes to go as her and her two roommates had really great Halloween parties every year. And she made us really cool snork costumes. So that's a shout out to the snorks. And then of course, super friends, which was a super friends was sort of the beginning and the ending of any time I've ever had any interest in superheroes whatsoever. You know, I loved it though. This, you know, the classic Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and then the Legion of doom bad guys, which I always loved the, the Legion of doom. They were always so cool to me. And there was another, do you remember the dragon Dungeons and Dragons cartoon series? I don't think so. So basically it was a cartoon, an action cartoon series starting in 83 by Toei. And it was basically this really cool series of these six kids. The story is these six kids get on a roll, a Dungeons and Dragons roller coaster. Now it's it's based on the TSR Dungeons and Dragons role, you know, role playing game. And they get trapped. They get sort of transported, inadvertently transported to this world of Dungeons and Dragons. And they become the action hero surrogates. The one kid becomes a wizard. The one kid's kid becomes a thief. The one kid becomes a barbarian. And they have to... And there's a bad guy named Venger who's like after them and then a good guy named Dungeon Master who's like sort of their guide through this mysterious realm and they have to try to find a way home you know and every episode they get close to finding a portal to the way home and then they don't you know and it lasted for seasons and very high quality cartoon with very um really like indicative indicative of that era of voice acting like you would totally recognize all the voice actors. Really cool series that actually had a beginning and an ending and everything. And so I want to give a shout out to that one. And then there's other things that I really liked along the way, like Gumby and Davy and Goliath and things I won't stay on too long. But the one thing that I wanted to mention that was very special to me later on in my sort of Saturday morning arc was Pee Wee's Playhouse. 
such a fun show. Do you have any memories of watching Pee Wee's Playhouse? Absolutely. Yeah, very, very strange and unsettling show. Very weird. Like I, I always found, I always found Pee Wee as a character and his misadventures, as it were, incredibly unsettling as a child. Did you really? Yeah. It wasn't like something I didn't I didn't want to watch or something that I was necessarily scared of, except for Large Marge scared the shit out of me. Oh, that was so scary. But I was cognizant of like this is so weird. This is just weird. You know, even for the time, it was very weird. Definitely, definitely strange format. Strange. Pee Wee Herman's a very strange character. Now I know Pee Wee's Playhouse started in '86, but I was curious and I forgot to research and then check into this when Pee Wee's Big Adventure, the first Pee Wee movie, came out. Did the Pee Wee movie come out first before Pee Wee's Playhouse? Or I want to say Pee Wee's Playhouse came out first, but I'm not positive on that. But Pee Wee's Playhouse was such a fun show. You know, it always made me, I think it was, it's the first show, it's the first kid's show that I remember, and I was a little older when it came out, I was 12. I guess when I first started watching it, I was going to be 13 that year. And, it's the first show I remember making me laugh out loud. You know, like it was laugh out loud funny to me. You know, it was so silly. And I always really, really loved it. And I still love it. And you know what? My kids love watching the repeats of it. So I guess it has sort of a timelessness to it, which is kind of neat. You know, when you take the playing of that era and the toys and the action figures, which I know there's a lot to be said for that topic. But, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you feel specifically, you know, Legos sort of came and took a lot of other toys thunder. <laughs> There's not that much else. You know what I mean? Like Lego, I love Lego. I think it's super cool. But, you know, this was a time of Saturday morning cartoons, you know, when Saturday morning was an event with sugary breakfast cereal and TV commercials advertising all the toys we wanted to ask for for Christmas and, you know, watching all these great cartoons that were fueling us to go and have a great weekend playing with our friends, whether it was inside with our toys or outside or swimming in the pool or playing sports or playing hide and seek in the neighborhood. I think Saturday mornings were a very different thing back then. And it would be so cool to sort of have a taste of it back again, you know, but I'm not sure how you could capture that. Do you run a Saturday morning block in in a movie theater, it's it's not the same. You yeah, know what I mean, it's just since we're all part of the problem of not watching set television blocks anymore. I don't tune into anything live unless it's like a news item that's like happening concurrent to it, or football, right. or hockey. Yes. Otherwise, I'm like I don't really care if it's live or not, and in fact, often avoid things as they're live and then just watch them when they bundle up into ten episodes at a time. <laughs> right, because it's convenient. Because I like binging things. Like if something's good, I want to watch it for you know hours. I don't want to watch it for you know thirty minutes or forty eight minutes or whatever it is. Where which makes sense. That model does make sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that. You know, Hulu is the only kind of example of one of these streaming companies that still puts out episodes weekly while Netflix and Amazon drop their shit. You're so lucky you're doing that with Attack on Titan because I'm starting to watch season three is out now. The first three episodes of season three come out and I'm watching on Funimation and you know, it's 22 minutes and then you're waiting for the next week. You know, it's excruciating. Yeah. I just will wait until you know, it's all done. You're yeah. better off. I do think that's more enjoyable. I agree. So there's something to be said. For and you that. remember it too. Like it's, it's something that you just, Watching from beginning to end, and therefore, like, you remember the through line. You don't have to yeah. watch a recap. That continuous nature of it. I found myself really victimized with Game of Thrones by that, where I just stopped watching it after, like, the fourth or fifth season. Because I'm like, I just... 
this will have to end at some point, and I think the upcoming season's the last one, and then I'll just watch it from the beginning again over a month. Yeah, know? yeah, and just be done with it. <laughs> yeah, I understand. I understand the appeal of that. You know, I I really do. But if you can go out and get yourself a sugary box of cereal and watch some old cartoons on YouTube, I guess that's the closest we yeah, can get now. A, anytime you want, of course. Anytime you want, at your com- convenience. The convenience of the World Wide Web and the <laughs> internet. Now, Dagan, before we go, do you have a lightning round that you like do, to indeed, partake sir. in? I do, please. Let's are do you, it. Are you ready? I am. Okay. I know it's late, so we can keep this one. Just answer as quickly as you want. <laughs> Hanna-Barbera or Looney Tunes? Looney Tunes, definitely. I knew you were going to say that. I love Looney Tunes. Now, would you prefer a sunny Saturday morning or a rainy Saturday morning? Rainy. I love the rain. Oh, I would take too. rain every day, dude. If it rained, like isn't that so true? I I love you know people. A lot of people are turned off by Seattle's weather, and I think it's like the best part. Yeah, I think I I, I never been to Seattle, but I have I have a hunch I would in, enjoy that. Rain inspires sure. me. Me too. It makes me want to read. It makes me want to write. It makes me want to play games. It makes me want to stay in bed and do the things that I like. Now, to do. do you think it's because I'm I'm often mindful of this because I feel the same way as you, and I know a lot of other people that feel this way too. Not a lot, but I a, a good amount. Do you think it has to do with assuaging? You don't have to assuage the guilt of not being out and about. I don't really feel guilty about that. Okay. I know Erin feels guilty about that sometimes where she's like, I should go enjoy this day and go walk and yeah, we yeah, two yeah. blocks from the beach. Why don't I, I go walk that. to the beach? I don't care. Like I, When Erin went to Massachusetts and brought Lola with her, so I, I, I bring Lola for three walks a day. So I'm, and that forces me to leave my apartment if I don't have anything else to do. But when they were gone, like I would go meet the Uber Eats or... Postmates guy outside twice a day, and otherwise I wasn't leaving the that apartment was very much at all. And you don't feel bad about that? No, because I want to do what I want to do. So chalk it up to just an atmosphere. You like the atmosphere? Of that. I, I think so. I'll tell you what, Dave. Like a few weeks ago, it never rains here, especially in Southern California. It really doesn't. But we had a thunderstorm, which is really rare. But for people out in California, they know it does not thunder and lightning here. It just doesn't. I don't know what you know stratospheric effect is going on here or what it, what it is with the jet stream or the way storms roll in that thunderstorms are very common where we're from and not common at all here i don't get it i'm sure there's a lot yeah, of reasons that meteorologists can explain but <laughs> there was i was like nine in the morning or so and i heard like thunder like loud thunder and i at first i was like oh it's raining like in my mind as in a very primal way, like as if I was a child or still lived on the East Coast, it was like this normal noise you heard. Oh, I see. And then it did it again and again, and I like became a cognizant. I'm like, what is going on? It's actually, it's pouring and it's thundering. Wow. And That's rare, it made yeah. me real. It really itched something inside me where I'm like, you know, a lot of people like California because, especially Southern California or actually everywhere in California, basically, but San Francisco for its weather. Yeah. It's sunny most of the year. There's a rainy season for a little while, but it. In L.A., you can conceivably go 10 months without any rain. And temperatures no lower in the daytime than 70-something. Some people talk that up as being so great. I'm like, frankly, it fucking sucks. There's no diversity here. There's no indicator here to tell you what time of year it is. You can just walk outside, and there's no indication on if it's... Walk outside on 2 p.m. any day of the week, any day of the month, any day of the year, and you have no idea what the fuck yeah, time of you year it is. Yeah, you can never You can't look at a tree and tell. You can't, you can't feel... The weather and like the, the the way the wind is or the, the it's just I feel like people that say that are like missing the forest for the trees that having snowfall and rain and plants sprouting and leaves falling and that's all part of it. And I, I miss that a lot. And I really part of that is thunderstorms and rain. I love rain. Yeah, I totally understand. It's cleansing. That. Yeah, it is. And I love the atmosphere of it. 
nice gray day. I enjoy that myself. Yeah. Anyway, go on. I'm sorry. Okay. Danger Mouse or Tom and Jerry? Danger Mouse, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good answer. Here's a tough one. Tom or Jerry? Tom's the mouse, right? Tom Tom is the cat. Tom's the cat. Jerry's the mouse. I Jerry's like the mouse. Jerry's, I like Jerry. You like Jerry. Okay. Yeah. He's cute. Okay. Do you prefer action cartoons or funny cartoons? Funny. Okay. You're going with funny. Definitely. Think about, I mean, you, you got it. I mean, I thought. Ren and Stimpy, Rocco's Modern Life. Yeah. Oh, good, good. Animaniacs. Good right. These are brilliant cartoons. I'd much rather, if I'm going to, I don't mind serious stuff, but if I'm going to watch, I think Attack on Titan would be way cooler if it was real. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Personally. Would, I hear what But I don't think Animaniacs would be served by it being real at all. That's a great point. Yeah. That's a very good the point. The cartoon format benefits comedy. Yeah, definitely. definitely that was the whole idea, I think. It right? was initially, yeah. Until Disney said, we can make a feature film. Let's make Snow White and try to take it another what way. What a fucking mistake that was. <laughs> 1939 or whatever the hell the year it was. Yeah, 29, I think. 20, oh, wow, 29. Yeah. Was, is that right? Wow. That's wild. Don't quote me on that. 100-year anniversary of that coming up. That's unbelievable. Okay, Garfield or Heathcliff? Heathcliff. I loved Heathcliff. That's actually... Heathcliff is cute. You know, that's another example of a, a cartoon that I think was on Saturdays, but that I would watch in the mornings before school. Yes, that was on both. And Heathcliff was the first half of it, right? Yeah. And then the back half were the... The junkyard cats. The junkyard or cats or whatever, whatever yeah. Called, which yeah. was weird. It was. Go on. <laughs> 80s or 90s? 80s. Yogi Bear or Gummy Bears? Neither. Mm, nice. Good answer. Daffy Duck or Scrooge McDuck? I'm going to go with Daffy Duck. Okay, very nice. I like Daffy Duck. Here's a tough one for you. Huey, Dewey, or Louie? Oof, I don't even know if I'd be able to select between them. I think I'm going to have to have you pick before I tell you who's whose color. Huey. Huey is the red guy. Oh, no. I want the blue one. That's Dewey. Dewey, okay. Think of Dew, like Morning Dew. Morning Dew, okay. Right? Huey, I always think of Huey Lewis in the news. He's kind of a rock star, so he's red. And Louie is like a boogie, like a hawk and a Louie, so he's green. That's too way too complicated for me. Really? Yeah, I can't. That's why I remember everything. You have these like real, you have these real. mnemonic <laughs> devices that are absurd. <laughs> See, that makes sense to me. Huey Lewis is a rocker. So he wears so the red. red. Well, Dewey, start with Dewey. It's Dew, it's blue. Yeah, so you can eliminate that one. I understand that. Right. Sure. Hawk and a loogie, it's going to be green. Sure. Okay, you're right. Okay. So I'm Huey's maybe I shouldn't be making fun of you. <laughs> it's pretty good. No? Not bad. Papa Smurf or Smurfette? I don't know. Papa, I, I would say Papa Smurf. <laughs> Not yet, my little Smurfs. Brainy Smurfing Smurf? Do you remember Brainy Smurf? No. Brainy Smurf or Jokey Smurf? I don't remember. Jokey Smurf. <laughs> Brainy Smurf is a really annoying one with glasses that would he would say, Papa Smurf always says, and then they would punch him and he would fly out of the village and his, when he would land, he'd land on his butt and his glasses would be all crooked like they just beat him up. Why are they and doing that Jokey to him? Smurf was a terrorist. <laughs> Jokey Smurf had handed everyone like a beautiful box like all wrapped up with ribbons, but it exploded and they always fell for it. Jokey Smurf wearing a suicide vest. <laughs> <laughs> Jokey Smurf. Ain't it funny? You're hilarious. Gargamel or Azriel? Gargamel is the bad wizard in, in Smurfs. Smurfs. Azriel Who's Azriel? is his cat. Oh. His pet cat. Well, cat, Azriel, I'll go with You're going with Azriel? Well, here's a tough one for you, Kyle. Ren or Stimpy? <sighs> Ren. Yeah, Ren's funny. I love Ren and Stimpy. He's man. hilarious. 
Ren, Ren and Stimpy is the best. Absolutely, bro. I always loved those fine. What were those like? Those close up, hyper realistic. Oh yeah, like the they paintings. Did? Yeah, beautiful. They were just paintings. King of Cartoons or Cherry? What is that? King of Cartoons is the guy in Pee Wee's Playhouse. He comes in and he shows oh, oh, a yeah. old, really old timey yes. cartoon. And then Cherry. Cherry, I remember. Okay, you know I, I got you. Pee Wee. Okay, yeah. Cherry. You going with Cherry on yeah. this? Ms. Yvonne or Cowboy Curtis? I don't remember this at all. What is this? Cowboy Curtis. Those are two characters. Those are two live action characters of Pee Wee's Playhouse. Okay. Miss Yvonne looked like a 50s like doo-wop singer. Like she had the the I don't know if she had a beehive or some kind of flip haircut. And Cowboy Curtis was actually um Lawrence Fishburne. I was gonna say he was black, right? Yeah, it's, Lord, well, it's yeah. Lawrence Fishburne. No, no, I was gonna say I was I was picturing a black cowboy. Oh, well, you know what? The King of Cartoons is also older black gentleman. Okay. Very racially diverse. Pee-wee's Playhouse or Pee-wee's Big Adventure? Big Adventure. Oh, you're going with Big Adventure or mm, Playhouse? Mm, I remember it better. That's incorrect. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> and that's it, my friend. Well, thank you so much, Dagan, for that. Thank, thank you, you so much, much for a, a thought-provoking and, and diversely talked about topic. Yeah, Let's I hope that everybody way. enjoyed it. I think they did. I know they did. I'm fact. sorry if you missed Saturday mornings, you guys. I hope you're old enough to have some kind of recollection. If not... Maybe it'll come back someday. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Your childhoods were so miserable. <laughs> I'm sorry. I play Madison Avenue. Actually, you know they they had to be funding the entire thing by by doing these commercials, right? Oh, for sure. Once there was an inkling that it wasn't going to be anymore, and they pulled out, that had to be the end of it. Interesting connection to Mad Men. Yeah, or a Mad Men episode, <laughs> bringing it all full circle, my friends. I like that. Very smart. I didn't realize how intelligent this list of topics was for. <laughs> I'll be interested to see how you tie in Return of the Jedi to Pee-wee's Playhouse. Oh, that's going to be interesting. Well, thank you all out there for listening to CLS Knockback. We appreciate uh, your patronage. If you support us on patreon.com slash stand. remember you can support us at varying levels to get varying perks, such as every episode of this show a week early, the ability to submit topic ideas and vote on other people's topics, etc. Your help is very much appreciated. But if you can't help us there and listen to us on free feeds, consider leaving us nice reviews where you do download us, whether that's iTunes or Google Play or whatever. It does help us algorithmically find a new audience. And that's important to us as Knockback continues to grow. And we're really quite thankful for that. So we'll see you next time for more Knockback. Thank you so Smash much. Smash that like button. Smash that like button. That's were... what the kids are saying. I think it's a joke at this point. It's got to be a joke at this point. Smash that like button. Like, subscribe, and share. <laughs> and we'll see you next time. Collins Last Stand Knockback is fan-supported over at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon. And I want to thank you from the very bottom of my heart for your incredible kindness and generosity. Ahmed Alloways, Martin Beck, Fred Bentz, Michael Betts, David Blodel, Mark Boggio, Spencer Brand, Isaac Brewer, Lennon Brixie, Matthew Brousseau, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Andrew Burkhart, Alex Cabrera, William Caldwell, Luis Cancado, Matthew Canoy, William O'Carroll, Shermer Carter, William Cashel, Brian Chand, Travis Chandler, Sean Chandler, Kenneth Char, David Chestnut, Steve Clifford, Dan Clifford, Chris Cochran, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Nick Cummings, Daniel Diamore, Daniel Del Nicos, Travis DePew, Mitchell Durkash, David Ellis, Albert Escobar, Brian Fink, Joe Finelli, Eric Fickenbeiner, Connor Gashian, Alexander Gates, Michael Gates, Daniel Glassford, Nick Goblersh, Tyler Goodwin, David S. Graham, Josh Gravelick, Ryan Greenwood, Miranda Grubba, Nick Gustafson, Andres Guzman, Tyler Harris, Wyatt Henry, Josh Yeager, Clarence Johnson, Paul Joyce, Greg Julefs, Jeremy Key, Kevin Komaki, Taylor C. Laudrin, Jackson Lassica, Donald Laws, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith A. Lewis, Chad Lewis, Mark Liberto, Lou and Ray Loper, Josh M., Ryan T. Mandel, John McManus, Joe McPartland, Albert Miranda, Patrick Malloy, Betty Ann Moore. 
Moriarty, A. Mukhtar, Brian Nietzsche, Connor Nesbitt, Josh Netzel, Adam Nix, Brian Ott, Jorge Palomino, Reed K. Parker, Todd Paxton, Brendan Peavy, Marius S. Peterson, Enrique Perez, Eric A. Peterson, Jason Pettit, Lawrence F. Prokop, Eric R. Pryor, Brandon Reed, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Austin Riley, Ramon Rodriguez Jr., Petro Rose, Michael Sanchez, Matthew Savoy, John Scholes, Chris Schaefer, Toby Schutman, German Sadu, Riley Smith, Jared Stuave, Alexander Suarez, Stephen Summingit, Ahmad Tamar, Tam Tran, Esteban Valentin, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Tyler Woodall, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Casual Misfits Gaming, Supershot ST, Mad Mock Media, Beric, Mubarak, Dav9834, Chris, and Donk2015.